Welcome to the Creating Conscious Relationships podcast with your host, Janelle Annette. On this podcast, you're going to be receiving my best teachings, tools, and practices so that you can create a conscious relationship from the inside out. So no matter your relationship status, you're going to find everything you need here to help your relationships thrive, including the one with yourself. Hello again, and welcome back for another episode of Creating Conscious Relationships. I'm very excited to share this episode with you because I'm actually going to be going over a format of a session I just ran inside of the online women women's groups. And it was a really impactful session on attachment. And I was just thinking that it would be such a valuable thing to share here with you. So you'll get a little window into what the women's groups look like and what kinds of things that we're talking about. And there's so many different processes that we'll do over the course of, you know, the just the months and all the sessions. But this is just one of the many and for you to get a bit of a, a better idea um, of what goes on. And if you're considering joining, what to expect when you plug in. So you're going to get a lot of value from today's episode. And we're talking all about attachment and attachment, also how it shows up in the nervous system. And I'm going to be guiding you through a bit of an experiment for you to do. It's an exercise. Maybe the word experiment sounds a little scary, but it's an exercise, an experiment to test your attachment system in a certain situation and see what comes up for you. So you'll be able to learn a lot about your attachment through doing this exercise. So if you're listening to this podcast, when you're kind of on your commute and going somewhere, that's all fine and well, you'll still get a lot of value from the beginning because it'll be more informational, but then make sure to carve out some space when you're able later to do the exercise towards the end of this episode. That's going to really help you self-apply all of this work and do some intervention for your attachment system, learn some skills to work more towards being secure. And maybe you already identify as being secure and that's great, but you know, we always have the potential to oscillate between feeling anxious at times and avoiding, even if it's in these really kind of micro ways that you might go into those waters. So definitely helpful things for everybody to learn. Before I get into all that, I just want to quickly share about the podcast itself. So I've been doing bi-weekly sessions as I've been going through a lot of transitions. And I actually was just in Bali for quite some time and I'm now over in Europe. So it's been a lot of adjusting, but I really want to give more to this podcast. So I'm going to go back to posting every week and we're going to do a few different segments. One is going to be episodes like this, where I'm just providing a lot of value. There's lots of takeaways. You're kind of like in a guided session on your own. Then I'm going to have some shorter episodes where it's just some insightful thoughts and things to think about throughout the week and questions to ask yourself. So more straight to the point reflections for you. And the other kind of episode that I'm going to be doing is actual sessions with people live here on the podcast. It's going to be 100% anonymous. We're going to make sure there's no personal details or your name just to keep you feeling comfortable, but there is actually applications now open right now. The link is in my Instagram bio, but I will also put it down here in the show notes. 
So you could actually apply to be on the show and to be guided through a session with one specific kind of pattern or theme or or thing that you're coming up against that you want to work through. And there is an application because we want to make sure that it's going to be an impactful session for you and I'll be able to give to you what it is that you're looking for. So it's an entirely free session. We're really focused on results. I want to make sure you have something to walk away with, to work on, to do, to implement. Because if you've listened to this podcast before, you know I'm all about what do we actually do with this information? How do we actually work towards making change happen? So that's what the session is going to be all about. And if you have any questions about that, you can absolutely reach out to me. And if you're just a yes right away, you can go ahead and get that link in the show notes or in my Instagram bio, like I said, and apply. I'm only going to be doing about one, maybe sometimes two of these shows of these episodes per month. So you might be on a bit of a waiting list, but I will let you know if your application is approved and then we'll schedule in a date to have that session. All right. So let's get into it. We are talking about attachment. So let's just start by talking about attachment as a label, or I guess as an identity. And there's some schools of thought and research that say you are one kind of attachment and that is your style and that's who you are and that's it. And there's other researchers who actually believe it's more of a spectrum and a continuum. So you can oscillate between different styles. And what I found when I began doing attachment work is pretty much not one single woman that I worked with felt as though she completely belonged in one camp. It was like, I might mostly be over here, maybe anxiousness, but I can definitely flip into avoidance or vice versa and and secure, right? So I really did experience that as well in my work, that it was this continuum. And at that time, a lot of the information that was being passed around and the common beliefs was that it was this like very hardened identity. And one of my teachers in attachment is Dr. Diane Poole-Heller. So she's been an amazing resource. She has a book called The Power of Attachment. She describes it more as what I've just said, that continuum, right? That ability to move between. And so for me, that felt so much more empowering because that's what I was really experiencing with a lot of my clients and myself and felt more true. And yeah, I just can't say enough good things about her work. And in my early days of exploring attachment, there's you know some more common books that a lot of people go to that had a lot of great information, but would also paint avoidant people as kind of like <laughs> these bad people you should avoid. And like avoid the avoidance. They're just never going to show up for you and they don't care. And I mean, maybe it wasn't quite phrased that way, but that was the tone was like, they're never going to change. This is just how they are. And you should just cut your losses and walk away. And as somebody who definitely was more on the avoidance spectrum, I was like, I don't really like that. I don't feel like that represents me very well because at the heart of it all, of the base of any insecure attachment is a longing for love and acceptance and nurturance, right? And so we'll talk about the specific styles in a moment here, but I really didn't feel that represented me fairly. And there is lots of other resources that you know have different opinions. So if you are somebody who has read some things or maybe studies a lot of attachment, um, I just really encourage you to do a lot of exploration. There's just so many good resources out there that you can learn from. And I really believe it's going to be about taking in what feels true to you and applying it as such. Because in my experience, attachment, it's not black and white and it's not this like 
one size fits all thing. It's complicated and it's nuanced, right? Just as our psyches and our brains are and all the aspects and layers of self. And, you know, so it's something that we all have to take into account and think about all the different ways that this could be applied. And at the end of the day, you don't need to psychoanalyze yourself or other people into some kind of answer. But of course, the knowledge of attachment and these things can help us at least work towards a more centered, secure approach when we need it. So when we're talking about attachment, what we're really talking about are these implicit memories and even more specifically, these implicit somatic memories. So memories that are buried into our subconscious mind, into our our body, into our somatic experience that effectively influence the way that we're showing up in life. So you can see it playing out like this. Essentially, something in the external world will happen and it'll activate your attachment system, but that actually starts from a physiological state. So there's some kind of response in your body, response in your nervous system, which then creates this feedback loop where it creates a narrative in your mind and then an action or behavior from that place. So it's those implicit, those felt somatic memories that trigger these patterns, thoughts, beliefs, actions in our day-to-day life, where we might not show up in relationship in the way that we actually want to, or we might not feel like we can do the things that we want because there's a deeper level of things happening in that implicit memory. And, you know, I talk about this a lot on this podcast is how the subconscious mind is 95%-ish roughly of our brain functioning. So naturally, we have to really understand how these things actually end up driving us in life and influencing all of our choices and behaviors in order to make change. So there's two kind of interventions that can come up in working with your attachment. If you're, let's say, anxious and something happens and you notice you're all of a sudden triggered into this spiral of the the thoughts, right? The overthinking, they they don't care about me. They're probably going to leave me. Um, did Was something that I said weird or wrong, right? So your mind takes you into these patterns. You can then say, oh, okay, my attachment system is actually really activated. And I'm catching these narratives that are coming up kind of more consciously. I'm going to now stop and slow down and actually tune in to what is happening in my body. What is the lived experience of being in this anxiousness? And it's really simple. It's just like, oh shit. Okay. There's like, my chest feels like it's on fire or there's this pit in my stomach or this lump in my throat. And I just want to freak out. And so what we might do in that case is sit and just be aware of it. We also might want to move the body. If sitting still feels like too much, you might want to move and shake and yell or cry or whatever might need to happen to kind of complete that experience. So letting your body physically process all of those feelings and sensations rather than going into a whole mind loop and narrative of freaking out, which essentially furthers the anxiety. Okay. So there's the approach where we're kind of catching something happening after that physiological response has already happened. We we are aware of it because of how the mind is going. And then we stop and kind of work backwards and learn to soothe the system to help support coming back into, again, that secure, centered, balanced place where we're not feeling really anxious and leaning in. And then there's the other approach, which is trying to be a little bit more proactive. So if you know something is going to come up that might activate some of that anxiousness, you can be proactive in saying like, okay, 
before I even get to that point, I'm going to make a request, let's say, of my partner to send me a message, or I'm going to plan that I'm away from my phone and I'm whatever, going on a walk outside in the forest or going to a sauna or something that helps me just be a little bit more in my body. So there's the proactive way of navigating, dealing with your nervous system and how it plays into your attachment. So now that we've covered that, I'm going to start explaining more the actual attachment adaptations that one can have and why they may have developed and how they might be showing up in your adult life or relationships today. So we'll start with anxious attachment. So simply put, anxious attachment is developed when there was a feeling of inconsistency in your household growing up. So inconsistency with your parents' ability to, or your caregiver's ability to be there for you. So this can happen on two levels. One might be the level of, you know, they were just a little bit emotionally closed off, or maybe just not even very attentive to you and your needs. Or they were with you fully when they were with you, but they had to work a lot. And so they just physically weren't as around. And so even though there might have been really good intention in that, your child developing brain doesn't understand that they're going away to work to provide, right? It just sees, oh, they're not here. Therefore, that love, that attention, that nurturance is inconsistent. And for a infant that's developing an anxious attachment style, they often will kind of leave their cry signal on, meaning they cry a lot. And what this is, is a strategy to say this love or this attention is sometimes here. Sometimes they're showing it to me and I I know that I'm being met or I'm being cared for. And then at other times it's not. So I'm just going to keep crying to signal that I'm craving love that I'm trying to get my needs met here. And this is a really important part about understanding attachment. It's that when you're an infant, your only way of surviving is through your caregivers. So you very much learn to get your needs met through them. And you're constantly scanning and seeking if your environment is going to be able to take care of you. So one aspect of attunement would be even just the caregiver's ability to mirror their your emotions back to you. So this is attunement. This is if I'm crying, is there a parent figure coming towards me and mirroring that they care, mirroring this intent look of saying, I'm here, I'm trying to figure out what you need. Is it, do you need the boob? <laughs> do you need a nap? Do you need your diaper change? Like, what is it? And you tell, you can tell that they're really there and present and paying attention. Or you're laughing and you're smiling and, and they're mirroring that with you. They can meet you in that, that love and connection, that joy. So it's essentially this communication non-verbally of, do you get me? Do you understand me? Are you going to be here to continually meet my needs so I can survive, right? It's quite a beautiful biological system that we have. So how does this show up in our adult relationships? Well, the main identification of somebody with anxious attachment, which again, it's not a label, it doesn't have to stay one way, but when somebody's in that anxiousness, they are essentially unable to self-regulate. They say, I need somebody else to feel complete, to feel okay, to feel enough, right? So it's this really deep yearning and craving to have another person 
meet you emotionally to feel safe in the world and the inability to self-soothe, self-regulate, right? Again, forming from that place of love was inconsistent. I don't know when it's going to come. Is it going to go? I have to hold on for dear life every time I get the chance because I don't want this love to leave. So we can see how that plays out in, in romantic relationships. And there's you know, just for the anxious person, I mean, for most people I speak to in that situation, they don't want to feel that way just because of simply the level of discomfort that goes on for them in their bodies and in their minds when they're trying to date or in relationship. But it can also naturally kind of drive partners away. This is that really graspy energy that can push somebody else even into their avoidance. And again, just as a little disclaimer, you're, you're never responsible for how other people respond. That's not necessarily up to you. But now Naturally, if you are really leaning in, if you are really clinging and asking for constant reassurance and really stuck in this place, it does have the potential and the capacity to push somebody away, right? So what we're wanting to work on is being able to lean back, self-soothe, meet yourself, work with other practices and activities and even other people to help you find that sense of self-centeredness, right? Where you can just like relax into ease and trust. Another thing that might have happened growing up to develop anxious attachment would be this like lack of clear boundaries between you and another. So it might have been when I cry or when I'm upset, everyone else gets upset. There's this inability for people to have this emotional boundary or this emotional separation, right? Or perhaps when I was trying to grow up, when I was a bit older, maybe preteen, and I'm trying to individuate there was a non-acceptance of that. There was a, you can't have your own identity. You need to think like us or behave like us, right? So if there was a lot of that in the family system, there can be just this general difficulty with boundaries growing up as an adult. It's kind of like, I don't know where I end and you begin. So when those lines get really blurry like that, you might find as an anxious person, it's really difficult to, again, set boundaries, but also just prioritize your own self. You might even overgive. And part of that is functioning as, I don't feel good if you don't feel good. Good, therefore, I'm trying to make you feel better. So I feel better. Right? And it's selfless and beautiful. And you know, there's a shadow and a light to everything. Part of that attribute is you're probably going to be really caring and attuned to other people's needs and receptive to changes in energies and people's emotions and moods. But it might take you for a loop. It might make you feel more confused about who am I and what do I want and what's mine and what's theirs. Right. So again, the practice is stepping back, <laughs> building and reclaiming this relationship with yourself to be able to hold your own sovereignty, your own identity, while still loving other people. It's not to say you need to become this like hard ass. I don't need anybody that's not actually helpful. We all need each other. But just finding that sweet spot of being able to, again, self-soothe, still meet in intimacy. And yeah, just work with the practices that are needed and best suited for you to continually maintain that or return to that state of balance. So next, let's talk about avoidance. So again, simply put, avoidance is formed from a non-availability with caregivers that could be emotional, could be physical. So if there was this sense of, I can't really rely on this, these people, I've cried, I've cried, I've cried, no one's come, no one's really met me, or it's very seldom. So it doesn't feel like it's something that I can really rely on and trust. I better learn how to just 
figure it out. Of course, this is to a degree. I mean, if you survived up until this point, you still had physically your needs taken care of, but there could have been a lot of distance emotionally or maybe perhaps you you didn't have your needs taken care of all the time. A common idea, and I'm not a parent, but just from talking to some parents and friends of mine, a common parenting kind of advice was, and maybe still is to certain people, is letting your baby just cry so that they become more self-sufficient and reliant and aren't quote unquote needy. And it's a little ridiculous because they are needy. They're completely needy on you and completely cannot survive without you. They're basically little puddles of mushy goo (laughs) that for the first while can't even hold their head up. Like they are entirely reliant. So if there's that school of thought, which again, I don't think anyone would do that with bad intent. It's If it's a common practice, if it's common parenting advice to just let them cry and let them figure it out. then of course, a lot of people will do that innocently because they're like, okay, well, that's what everyone's saying. And the experts are saying that, but attachment wasn't factored in, right? So there's a perfectly good example of maybe you even had really awesome loving parents and you are confused about why your attachment is the way it is, but they just followed maybe a dated parenting advice practice or tactic that led to that, right? Or again, maybe they just worked a lot. And for the most most of the time, they just weren't really available to take care of you. And even though that was out of love, maybe if I'm trying to provide, for example, still doesn't feel good for the developing mind. And an interesting thing is that for a lot of avoidant people, they might even find pride in not relying on people. And society can even glorify that, right? We kind of have this glorified idea of the lone wolf, the person that doesn't need anybody. I think this is changing, but I do believe that we're coming from a lot of thinking that is like, be tough, be independent, figure it out. You know, it can be a little bit of that focus on hyper-independence, which isn't great. We want to find that sweet spot in the middle. But people who are avoidant tend to be very self-sufficient, meaning they can usually get a lot done. They might work a lot. So and if their focus is on themselves more so, right? So with the anxious, it's more focus on other. With the avoidant, it's more focus on self. So they can get a lot done. There can be a lot of productivity and again, just that self-reliance. So like I said before, there's a shadow and a light with everything. And by no means is this like, feel bad about yourself because you have this insecure attachment or anything like that. It's really just gifts. And there might be a bit of a balancing act that needs to happen for you to have the most fulfilling life that you want to have. And next we'll talk about disorganized, which usually stems from quite severe neglect or abuse. And essentially there's no real clear pattern in the attachment. It's more so swinging from these extreme ends of extreme anxiousness, extreme avoidance, and it's a very disruptive pattern. So for folks who have disorganized attachment, it can be really difficult for them to regulate their emotions. And on one hand, they desperately are seeking, feel connected and feel loved and feel safe, but are so terrified of it that at the same time, they're absolutely pushing it away. So there's this uh, really strong internal conflict, right? And so when I say it comes from abuse or neglect, it's often when, you know, you have your caregivers that you rely on, but yet they were people to maybe fear or avoid or run from. And so it creates this 
very, very confusing dynamic for the child. And then again, for the adult who's trying to figure out and navigate relationships. So disorganized attachment is something you can absolutely work with. And really, you can work with any of these attachment styles, as I said. And a lot of it in my eyes comes down to nervous system regulation, learning how to cultivate safety in both the self-reliance as well as safety in the connection with other people. So if we can do that, we can really slowly but surely work our way to feeling more secure. And it doesn't mean it'll be overnight or easy, but it is, wow, the most worthwhile thing for our romantic relationships, but also our friendships and our career and really just how we even see ourselves in the world. Our attachment system and our nervous system plays such a huge role in it. So know that you can work on it, know that there is progress, know there is the secure attachment that you can work towards. And it's just about working with the right tools and practices. And I'll introduce a tool and a practice later in the episode for you to begin working with this. And lastly, on that note, before we talk about secure attachment is sometimes folks with insecure attachment. So any of the three I just talked about, there might be this feeling of when it comes to relationships, this like very black and white thinking, it's either I need to go all in or I need to shut it off completely. Okay. So you might oscillate between the two. You might kind of go towards one, just constantly trying to make it work or constantly running, right? Or maybe you do both. It can be this, like, this is the only way. Well, of course you might eventually end up at that place. What somebody that's a little bit more secure can do is find the middle steps, right? So if you're an insecure attachment, what we'll say and what we'll talk about is using secure behaviors and modeling that until you eventually begin to feel more secure. So what a secure person can do is take that situation, whatever's going on with that person and say, okay, do more boundaries need to be implemented here? Do I need to communicate my feelings and my needs? So there's these very clear, I guess, tests that somebody would put into place in a relationship to really know what to do going forward. And you don't have to be super close to everybody that you're in relationship with, whether it's, I mean, friendships and family, right? So if you're more secure and a relationship is a bit challenging or dysfunctional and you still want them in your life, you might say, okay, I'm going to like still be in a relationship with this person, but from a bit more of a distance, I'm going to create more intentional space. And if that doesn't work, maybe then they choose to end it because they've kind of employed all the resources. And so just notice if you tend to kind of go to that black or white thinking of it's over, or I have to go fully in and this is my everything. And we'll talk about, again, those secure behaviors for you to do your best to model to have more of a full toolkit when it comes to relationships. Okay, so secure. We're finally here. You might be thinking, is anybody secure at all? Are we all just flailing around trying to figure it out? Again, continuum. And it might seem like there's this extraordinarily high pressure on the parent to make a secure child. But in truth, to create a secure child, you only need to be good enough, quote unquote, 30% of the time. So they call it good enough parenting, which is like, ah, okay, thank God I don't have to do this like perfectly tuned on, always on my game, meditative, present, happy able to meet my sadness kind of human in order to do it good enough. Again, I'm not a parent, but I know parents tends to be a ton of pressure to get it right. And they want to get it right. And they care so much. They care more than anything. 
So of course they want to get it right. And I, you know, I hope that if you are a parent or planning to be one soon, that this can just be a little bit of a relief because again, you don't have to be perfect. You just need to do your best and and try to be attentive that 30% of the time. So we can start with that and take a little bit of a breath. So a marker of a securely attached child is, let's say, you know, they're in a room and they're playing, there's other kids running around and their parent is there. We'll say mom in this example, they might be with mom and then decide, okay, I'm going to like run off and go and do these building blocks or whatever. And they're going to, they're going to go off, separate from their moms. They might look back, check mom out. Hey mom, you still there? Okay, cool. She's there. I'm good. I'm going to keep doing my thing. And then I'm going to get immersed in these blocks or I don't know, picking my nose or like playing with another kid or screaming for fun. I don't know. Basically, they feel safe enough to go off in this room to explore, to play, to do whatever they want to do, knowing that mom is there, knowing, okay, mom's got me. I trust she's there. She's shown up for me. She's proven that she's got me. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to keep running back to her. I don't need to run away from her. I can just be like doing my thing, knowing she's there, knowing that she's got me. So again, that comes from parents who also are able to meet the needs most of the time, 30%. I guess it's not even the most, but a lot of the time we'll say, and can mirror those emotions. Yes, I can read your body language, your facial cues, and I'm mirroring that. I'm meeting your needs. There's a lot of touch, right? So touch is a really important factor in attachment too. There's that care. So all these things that might go into helping a child feel safe and secure in that relationship. And there's more things that go into it, but just for the simplicity of this episode, that's kind of like an overall explanation. So how this plays into adulthood is the secure adult feels safe in connection and intimacy, and they also feel safe in their own solitude, right? So it's that middle ground I've been talking about so much. They know how to open their hearts. They know how to be vulnerable. They know how to feel their emotions, yet they also are able to lean back, take care of themselves, process things on their own, and they can really switch between those states and be attentive to their own needs as well as their partner and tend to be stronger with communicating and opening up and so on. Another way to put this is that they're able to self-regulate and they're also able to co-regulate, right? So we can regulate our nervous system through our own way. And we can also regulate our nervous system through other people, through touch, through presence and so on. Another thing that the secure adult can do is they're able to trust in life and in themselves. So when something goes sideways, things aren't going exactly as planned, of course, it's human. There's going to be moments of doubt and fear and discomfort, but overall they can return to or feel a state of trust. I trust in myself. I trust in life. I, I know things are going to be okay and I can continue on from this point. So they're less likely to catastrophize when something goes wrong. Why? Because coming back to that explanation before of I feel protected in life. I know people have my back or I have my back. I'm safe. I'm cared for whatever happens, right? I can go off and explore and play. Same thing as an adult. I can take more risks. I can try new things. I can open my heart and risk being hurt. I can start that business and risk running through a hundred failures before I succeed because I have the resources to take care of myself and my nervous system along the way. So there's so many things that we can do when we essentially feel secure within ourselves and safe and grounded in our nervous system, apart from just romantic relationships. 
Another thing that secure adults can do is make repair in relationship. And so if you have two secure people together, you know, however, you're not going to have this relationship that is just harmony and peace and ecstasy and passion and romance all the time. Like all relationships will go through conflict and disconnect and questioning and then returning to love and frustration and misunderstanding and all the things that come up. And it's not necessarily, and you're not necessarily trying to aim towards having a relationship that's free of conflict. You're aiming to have a relationship that can cycle through all of those phases and continue returning to connection. So it's the cyclical nature of relationship of disconnection coming back into repair and reconnection that actually can form those bonds even deeper, right? We see deeper layers of each other. We learn to be loved in our messy, shadowy things we don't want to be seen and so on and so forth. We can really fortify these bonds, but it's not going to be without conflict and struggle. So when I say make repair happen, it's I can come back after that time of conflict. And yes, I was probably triggered and activated and whatever, but I know how to come back and meet you eventually in intimacy and connection and depth and continue opening my heart to you. And that's the gift of, again, feeling more secure in relationships, which I really do believe is attainable for all of us. And it just might take a bit of work, likely will, but that's something that, you know, we can all work to do through tools and practices and communication frameworks, as well as our own internal work and exploration. And again, as I say so many times, nervous system regulation. And this is my final point for secure and is really important. And that is for the secure person, ultimately, they felt loved for who they were, not what they did. Okay. So feeling love for who you are, not what you did. A lot of the time, love was somewhat conditional. It's you are better when you do this. I will give you more praise when you excel at this or do what I think is right. Or I'm going to scold you when you do what I think is wrong. So we can form these ideas growing up that we are only worthy and lovable and complete when we are doing a certain thing and shaping into a certain version of self, even if it's not who we are or what feels true for us in the moment. So the secure child, again, just feels love for who they are. And of course, they probably did some things and got some discipline. It doesn't mean that they were just floating around on this cloud of unconditional love. It's not realistic. But for the most part, they just felt like who I am as a person is is what makes me lovable. And that's enough. And I don't need to like prove to anybody that I am worthy of love and affection. So working towards secure, like I said, all of those behaviors that I just explained, those are things you can work on modeling. And there's a lot that goes into that. And I understand this is you know just a podcast episode. So if you are wanting to go deeper, you can definitely ask me questions or reach out and I'm happy to explain what that might look like. But ultimately you want to start mirroring those behaviors and all of this needs to happen in relationship. So there's that quote, I don't know who said it, but it's said a lot. We are wounded in relationship and we heal in relationship. What's really important with healing attachment wounds is we do it in relationship. We we create new implicit memories. So when we're working with these very deep, hardwired responses and behaviors in our psyche, we need new experiences to rewire those neural pathways and show that something else can be possible. Oh, healthy, safe, secure love is possible. I've just experienced that with this person, whether it's a friend or partner, you know, somebody. So we need to create these experiences for ourselves to be able to practice these 
new things. So that might come with being more discerning in your relationships and choosing people that you can work towards that with. I'm not saying that you need to dump all of your anxious or avoidant friends or perspective partners or your partner, you can still be with these people, but really trying to call in models of secure and healthy relationship around you to help you meet them in that space, to help you model what they're doing, and to ultimately create that feeling of reciprocity in terms of the the emotional connection, right? That that can happen there. So I have some journal prompts that you can work through. And when I was actually running this inside of the online women's groups, this was more of a group discussion where everyone had a chance to share what came up for them, what they're noticing and get some hot seat support and guidance on those specific things for them. But for you in this case, what you can do is jot these down. I'll put them in the show notes as well so that you can have them easily. And these are going to be things that you can reflect on to make sure that you're having a clear picture of what to do moving forward. And then we'll get into a brief exercise that you can do to also read your attachment. So the first question is just for, because it's less of a question, it's more just for you to reflect on somebody that is a secure attachment figure in your life. So what their name is, maybe why, um, what is it about them? What's your relationship like? And if you can't think of anybody, no one comes to mind. This can be an emotional thing to think about. Okay. So if that's there, feel those feelings, sit with that longing for that kind of connection. And instead, what you can do is reflect on when things were hard, how did I get by? What did I do to get through it? How did I self-soothe? Was there an activity that I went to? Did I dance, paint, sing, yell, tantrum? How did I get through it? How was I that partner to myself or that parent to myself, that secure person? Even if it wasn't always the case, what did I do to get through it? And then the next question is what's something that that person does that you'd like to do more of yourself? What's something that you'd like to mirror and model, right? So if they're a really loving, warm person, maybe you're going to intentionally plan to give somebody gratitude and appreciation this week. You're going to look somebody in the eyes and tell them something you love about them. Or maybe they listen actively to you and are really like calm and grounded. So maybe that week you want to so actively listen to somebody else and practice a calm demeanor, right? So we can practice these things. We can intentionally plan to be this kind of version of ourselves that we want to be. And the next question is what attachment behaviors do you notice in yourself? What do you feel as though you can resonate with? What patterns or behaviors, tendencies, thoughts do you find that you go to yourself in dating or relationship or friendship or career, whatever it might be? So just really noticing what are my patterns? And then again, we're always going to have that point of entry of, oh, I could actually interrupt this pattern and try something new. How about that? What does that feel like? And then the last question, which can be a little bit emotional. So please... Only answer this question if you're feeling emotionally resourced, if you're feeling stable, if you're feeling grounded and centered and able to reflect on this. But the question is, was there an aspect of conditional love when I was growing up, right? So were you heavily praised for something or was love withheld when you did something, right? So just what were the conditions like around love. And if you went through a lot and didn't feel very loved when you were growing up, again, this can bring up a lot of emotions. So if you're going to do this question or reflect on it and encourage you to just make sure you're in a space where you can breathe and take care of your nervous system and just go at it slowly and gently. 
So again, I will put those questions in the show notes in case you're not able to jot those down right now. Maybe you're doing something, you can reflect on those at some point. So now finally, we're going to do this experiment. And I will say that when we're actually inside of the online women's group call, we do a more deep and emotional version of this process. But because this is a podcast and it could bring up a lot for you, I'm going to soften the exercise quite a bit. But it's still going to be a really interesting thing for you to just notice and explore and play with and pay attention to. And if you've never done any somatic work or exploration of how sensations arise in your body, then you might not feel a lot. That's totally normal. And know that by making this a practice, I like to say bridging the mind and body, the more you build that bridge, the easier it's going to be for you to become aware of these sensations that are going on in your body. Just to put it simply, most people can identify with, let's say something like a lump in your throat, maybe when you're about to cry or a pit in your stomach or that anxiety feeling in your chest, right? So at some point, You've probably felt that. You probably know what I'm talking about. And what somatic work and this paying attention is, is being able to fine tune all of that processing and pick up on the subtle shifts and the energetic cues that are happening in your body. So we're going to have this experiment, this exercise to bring up a certain response from your nervous system and for you to pay attention and just notice and observe it and see what kind of comes up for you. So again, If you're able to drop into this exercise now, great, not pause, but definitely come back to it so you can really get a complete experience in this exploration. But when you're ready, you're going to begin by closing your eyes. You can either be seated in a cross-leg position or having your feet flat on the ground if you're in a chair and beginning by just immediately noticing your breath and noticing if your breath is shallow in any way. Don't change it. I'm just trying to catch what's going on here. It's very common for the breath to be shallow and mostly in the chest. So this is true. Noticing that and then beginning to drop the breath down into the lower part of the belly. And as you take some deep breaths, just want you to try to soften a little bit more. So you might be holding tension in you know, your shoulders or your jaw or your belly or anywhere else, face muscles, right? So with every exhalation, just trying to soften a little bit and arrive in your body in the present moment, sitting up with a strong spine and a soft front. With your eyes closed in your mind's eye, you're going to bring to mind that secure attachment figure. So whomever that might be, if that's a friend, a partner, somebody you once knew. So I want you to imagine that they're standing there just a few feet away from you. And notice how this immediately feels in your body. Again, you might not feel anything or you might be aware of some some kind of subtle shift. And from where they're standing, you're going to see them take a step toward you. And then they're going to take another step toward you. And now they've taken a third and they're very, very close to you. And just noticing as they approach you, what's going on in your body. 
Is there any temptation to move in a certain way or change positions? Has your breath changed in any capacity? So just observing as they're standing very close to you, what that feels like, and there's no wrong or right. You might want them to go away. You might want them to come closer. You might just feel a lot of discomfort or maybe you don't feel much at all. No right or wrong. So in your mind's eye, you're going to have them back up to whatever degree they need to, or however many steps back they need to, for you to feel comfortable. Okay. So it could just be a couple. It could be many, whatever feels good for you and your body and helps you maintain that state of relaxation, softness. Once you've found that sweet spot, you're just going to take a deep breath here. And you're going to hear me saying some words and you're going to imagine that they're saying this to you. And again, your only job is just to notice how it feels in your body and if it brings anything up. So you're seeing them standing however many steps back and you're hearing them say to you, I'm here for you. You don't need to do this alone. You're in my care. I trust you. I believe in you. I care about what you have to say. You matter to me. So taking a deep breath and just noticing, did anything come up as you heard that person saying that to you? Keeping your eyes closed and there's no wrong or right. There could have been many experiences that came up for you in that. Before we wrap that up, you're going to now bring the attention in towards yourself. And you're going to, again, hear me say some words, and you're just going to imagine that you're saying these things to yourself, or you could even repeat them in your own mind to yourself. And again, just seeing how these things feel. So you hear yourself saying to you, I will breathe with you until you feel safe. I'm here for you. I've got you. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. I care about you. You are worthy. You are complete. And if there's anything else that you feel called to just say to yourself now, you can take the next moment or two to do so. And taking a few deep breaths and as many as you need, and you can slowly begin to come back to the room. So 
you can see in this exercise how when a secure figure comes toward you, how it feels in your body, whether you want to open to them or close. Right? And again, there's no wrong or right. And then as well as when they're saying these sentences to you, can you let it in? Does it feel nourishing? Or are you like, I don't believe you, that you're full of shit, I can't trust you, right? So we might have these very polarizing experiences that help us understand what it's like to be met with secure attachment. And if you couldn't find or think of somebody who felt like a secure attachment figure for you in your life, then again, you can reflect on what it is that you did to get by, like I said earlier, and you know you could meet yourself in that that experiment, which is kind of what we did at the end there, which is how does it also feel to give that secure attachment to yourself, to be that empathetic, loving, kind parent, if you will, to yourself, right? Because they're both really important. Again, that was a bit of a simplified version of what we did in the call today, but I just wanted to walk you through that because I think it's a really potent exercise that helps us understand how our, our nervous system plays a pretty huge role in everything that we do in all of our relationships. So if you felt a lot of sensation in that, awesome. Your attachment system's online. You're able to identify these things. And if you didn't, then I would encourage you to maybe invite a practice into your day-to-day life of meditating or scanning over your body with your awareness to just become a little bit more attuned and attentive to what might be going on down there. And it's a really worthwhile journey that has changed my life many times over and many of my clients. So I encourage that practice. This has been a bit of a longer episode, but I hope you got so much from it. And I'm sending you a lot of love as you head into this next week. As always, if you have any questions, reflections, comments, or shares, I love to hear it. Please reach out to me on Instagram. Even if you just want to have a conversation, I want to know how these things are being received. And if there's anything else I can do or share here on the podcast or elsewhere to support you, then I am open to hearing it. And if you're curious about signing up for the online women's group where we go way deeper into a lot of these themes, then there's going to be some links in the show notes to how you can apply is an application basis. We make sure we only accept people who really get the most from this container. And there's other ways to plug in and work with me as well. So if you're curious, you can just, again, send me a message, tell me what kind of level of support you're looking for, and uh, we can go from there. Right, so that's it. Sending you so much love. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day and we'll see you next week.